Let us pray. O most gracious God, ever draw near to us that we might know Jesus, and ever give to us Jesus that we might know you. Cause us, O Lord, to be changed and renewed by your word. Cause us to follow after you and lead us by your spirit to know this Jesus of whom your word speaks. That we might become changed more and more by him to know you, O Father. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our collect for today spoke of how the Lord, how God is the one who can bring order to unruly wills and affections. He is the one who can draw us to Himself. He renews us. He changes our wills. He changes the loves and the desires that we have within that we might know Him, that we might serve Him. And on this Passion Sunday, as it's called. It was funny, when I was looking in the prayer book and looking at things and um, talking to Mike about what passages we were to have for this week, I was like, when did we start calling this Passion Sunday? I don't remember this in the prayer book before. And then I looked up information about it being Passion Sunday. I was like, oh yeah, I've done this the last two years. Looked up information about why this is called Passion Sunday because it's always been Passion Sunday and it just passes by me. And it's Passion Sunday because it's coming into the home stretch. Is coming ever so closer to Good Friday, toward Jesus' crucifixion, toward His death and His resurrection, toward that passion that He must endure, that He must go through on our behalf. And so, the church has called this Passion Sunday to put us in that mind, not that we haven't already been for the past few weeks as we've been traveling through Lent thinking about the death of Christ coming up and preparing our hearts for that death and that resurrection that is to follow. But here, so there's a sense of a doubling down of reflecting and focusing in on that very death, that very passion that Jesus must endure for us. That He must go through in order that we would be drawn to Him, in order that we would come to Him. And so this Sunday we reflect on what some call the misplaced Gethsemane, 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 the place, I can't even say it now. I could say it earlier. Gethsemane, the misplaced Gethsemane in the Gospel of John. Because after all, John does not go to Gethsemane with Jesus in the same way that the synoptics do. In the synoptics, we have Jesus falling on his face before the Father and begging for the cup to be withdrawn, but nevertheless, the Father's will to be done. In John, when we get to that time before his arrest, he is praying confidently. And it's not that they contradict each other, but that they're showing two sides of the same prayer, I think. The synoptics just narrow it down to that nub of, Thy will be done. Whereas that is the entire point of John 17 is that Jesus is praying for God's will to be accomplished through His pending death and resurrection. And here we see the trouble and the struggle that Jesus has on this Passion Sunday. We see that His soul is troubled. And He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
Here we have Jesus struggling and looking toward that cross. Because here in the Gospel of John, we're on sometime between Sunday and Tuesday of Holy Week. It's after the triumphal entry, but it's before the events that come. His arrest and the Last Supper and His crucifixion. And so it's that first half of the week. And if you notice, this is, the, this is just John 12. When we get to John 13, we're at Maundy Thursday. And then the next eight chapters are basically all about the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Think about that, that so much of John, nearly half of the book of John, is about the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. It's pretty amazing to think about that John puts so much emphasis on the death and resurrection of Jesus. But here we hear of Jesus' struggle and His calling because He says, for this purpose I have come to this hour. For this very purpose, this moment of death, this moment that will pave the way toward resurrection and toward salvation is why I have come. This hour is why I am here. And through Him going and enduring through this hour, He Himself is calling us today to become stuck, so to speak, to His mission. To become part of His mission of salvation, to cling to Him in His mission of salvation, in order that that salvation would continue to reach out to the ends of the earth. And so we have first there in verse 20, the dying grain. The dying grain as Jesus turns to His disciples and tells them that a grain of wheat must first enter into the earth, fall into the earth and die. But what sets off this speech from Jesus? It is the reality that Greeks have come. It's on the cusp of the Passover and so there are some Greeks there in Jerusalem who more than likely are God-fearers. They're not proselytes. They are not converts to Israel. For they are not circumcised. If they were circumcised, they would just be Jews. Because the Old Covenant didn't care about your ethnicity so much as your circumcision and faith. That was what it was intended to be. So therefore, someone who became circumcised later in life and confessed faith in Yahweh would be incorporated into the Jewish people and be called a Jew. And so these are uncircumcised Gentiles who are coming to see the feast, to worship God, to pray to Him. And are gathering there in that court of the Gentiles that we talked about a few weeks ago, that Jesus cleared out there at the beginning of the Gospel of John and had once more in the other Gospels cleared out again. And so here are these Greeks, and they come to Philip, who has a Greek name, by the way, who then goes to Andrew, and then they go to Jesus. These Greeks want to meet Jesus. They wish to see Him, to encounter Him, to discover more about Him, to understand Him. And John never tells us if Jesus meets with these Greeks. Because as soon as Andrew and Philip go to Jesus, Jesus begins talking to them and he says, The hour has come. When you read through the Gospel of John, you hear Jesus mention this many times. He'll say, My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come when certain events are occurring around him. That it's not time for his crucifixion and resurrection. But here, when these Greeks come, here on these last few days on earth, at, before his crucifixion, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For the Son of Man to be glorified, to go to that cross and die an inglorious death that yet is His great glorification. That brings about glory to the Son of Man. That brings about glory to the Father. Because 
He is a dying grain. He is meant to fall into the earth and die. Because if he doesn't, he will remain alone. But when that grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, what happens? It sprouts up and produces more grains of wheat. It produces life. It produces opportunity for life. More life and more life from that one grain of wheat that has died that springs up and becomes a new head of wheat that has many grains in it that can be spread out and grow more wheat. And that is the dying grain, the one grain that falls into the earth and dies. It ceases to be its own. It ceases to be alive, but dies and becomes something new and produces life, produces fruit. Jesus continues to explain this dying grain by looking at his disciples and saying, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Words we've heard in one form or another throughout the Gospels that you are called to not love your life, but to hate it in this world. And of course, here he's being hyperbolic. That, contra- that comparison of love and hate is always hyperbolic. It's not a literal hatred as in how we would hate enemies that are threatening to kill us. But it's a putting it into second place, reducing it, denying it, cutting it off. This life in this world turning away from that life and shunning it in order that you would receive Jesus, in order that you could turn that love that you should have, that you might have for the world that you were born with in the world, the love of your life for this world, turn that love and let Jesus renew it into a love for Him, into a love that looks toward Him, that depends on Him, that serves Him, And he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant also be. And so we must turn from our old life. We must turn from this life in this world and despise it and not love it, but love Jesus, but love who he is, which means that we too become dying grains of wheat. We too must die and fall into the earth. But we're given that promise, where I am, there will my servant be also. But it's a scary promise because he says, where I am, and where is Jesus going? To the cross. He is going to die. He is going to suffer death on our behalf. Where I am, there will my servant be also. And thus, we have to walk that path of death as well. Our death is not salvific. Our death is not redemptive. But nevertheless, our death is necessary in part and parcel of the change that Jesus brings to us. He calls us to die as He has died in order that we would be able to receive the life that pours forth from Him in His resurrection, to receive from Him what He has received by being the Son of the Father, by being the perfectly obedient servant, by being the servant who learned obedience through suffering and pain. And that dying grain then leads us over to the lifting up of Jesus. As that grain of wheat falls into the ground, it grows and it is lifted up, so to speak. And Jesus continues in verse 27 with the statement of my soul is troubled. Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The Father's name is going to be glorified. And the Father has glorified it, he says. The voice from heaven speaking. 
One of three times, I believe, in all the Gospels where the Father speaks in such a way that other people can hear it. The first being at Jesus' baptism. The second being at the Mount of Transfiguration before His disciples. And now here before the crowds, the Father speaks. Some don't have ears to hear it though, and they say it's just thunder. Others hear an angel speaking. And Jesus says, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Because the lifting up of Jesus is coming. And this is an affirmation of who Jesus is as He prays for the Father to glorify the Father's name. The Father says, I have, and I will glorify it because the Son's time is coming. The hour is here for the Son to be glorified. And as the Son is glorified, so too is the Father's name glorified. This lifting up means that judgment is coming, that the ruler of the world will be cast out. He will be defeated. He will be crushed. He will be put away by Jesus Himself. But in a most inglorious way, because it's not what we would expect. It's not what we would understand. And Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. Since we haven't read through the entire Gospel of John during our time on Sundays right now, We may not quite catch that reference when I am lifted up. I think that Jesus here is actually referencing something He said earlier in the Gospel in John 3 when He's talking to Nicodemus. He says that the Son of Man must be lifted up like Moses lifted up that bronze serpent in the wilderness. And that through that, salvation would come to His people. And here, Jesus is referencing that and of course, ultimately referencing the bronze serpent That is, the bronze serpent was lifted up and the people saw what was causing their death, what was causing their judgment from God and turned from the sins that they had committed that brought that judgment. They found life. They found healing. Strangely enough, by looking upon the very thing that was causing them pain and suffering, the serpent. They were being struck down by serpents because of their grumbling and their sins in the wilderness. Fiery serpents, is called in Numbers 21, came and started assaulting the people as judgment from God. And when the people came to Moses and said, do something, save us, help us, pray for us, he turns to Yahweh and Yahweh says, make a bronze serpent and put it up on a staff and lift it up high so that when the people look upon it, they will be healed. They look upon that which is brought, that which is their judgment. That is which they deserve and they somehow find healing by looking through that and seeing Yahweh saving them and trusting Yahweh to save them. Likewise, Jesus is lifted up on the cross and we see the judgment of God come down upon Him instead of upon us. We see the results and the consequences of our sin that it leads to death. But instead of it being our death, it is the death of the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus, the Messiah, taking on to Himself the death and the judgment that is rightfully ours. And looking on Him, we find healing. We find renewal as we trust what God has accomplished through Jesus for us. We look upon the reason for the death that is among us, our sin and the judgment of God being poured out against us, and it lands on Jesus so that we can have life, so that we can have renewal. 
And of course, John reminds us, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The people recognized that Jesus meant he is going to die. The Messiah will die on the cross. And so the people respond, well, we've heard that from the law, the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up, that is, must die? Who is this Son of Man? The people recognize that Jesus is talking about receiving the judgment of God on himself. He is going to die on the cross because he will be lifted up on that cross. But yet mysteriously through that death, he will draw all people to himself. His action on that cross of dying and receiving the judgment of God will begin drawing people to himself as people look up and see and realize the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God through the cross for us. That Jesus doesn't begrudgingly go to the cross, but he joyfully goes to the cross, looking through the pain and the passion and the suffering to the great and glorious day of salvation that will be brought upon this world because of what he endures on our behalf for the sake of the Father. And even more so as we come to understand who Jesus is more deeply and recognize that he is not some mere man dying in our place, but he is the Son of God, the second person of the eternal Trinity, God Himself in human flesh going to that cross on our behalf. That God Himself, the Son, takes upon Himself the judgment that is intended to be upon creation. He takes it upon Himself and absorbs that judgment on our behalf. And because he is going to do that, he looks at these people and says, the light is among you for a little while longer. The light is with you for a little while. While you have the light, walk in it. Right there, they are seeing the light before them. Another theme of John, the light and the darkness coming out here. And Jesus is saying that he is the light and he is walking amongst them and they are called to walk in light. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. He is going to stumble. He is going to run into things. He's going to fall down. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Here before his death, before the people, he is continuing to confess that he is the Messiah and calling them to believe in him. Even as he is going to the cross that they might see the resurrection and understand the resurrection. But the light will continue to be shown because the word will go out. While Jesus is the literal light before them, he will be made known through his disciples by their actions and their words and their going out. But the time is coming when that light was withdrawn from Jerusalem. Some almost 40 years later when the Romans came through and destroyed Jerusalem and wiped it out because of the rebellion of the Jews against the Romans. They just came in and wiped the entire city clean and decimated it. And there was God's judgment against the Jews for rejecting the Messiah. God brought judgment upon His own covenant people because of their rejection of the Messiah. And the light was withdrawn from that place. And they were left in darkness. But nevertheless, He calls us to be stuck to Him to be united with Him in His mission of salvation, that His light would then go back out, that His light would be shining forth, that <clears throat> others 
might believe in that light and become sons of light, become renewed and made like Jesus, become grains of wheat that fall into the earth and die and must be lifted up to produce new fruit, to produce more fruit, to draw others to the Father, to draw them to the Father and to Himself. That is what Jesus is calling us to do on this Passion Sunday is to look to Him to die to ourselves because we are looking to Him to turn from our old ways to the new way. To see Him lifted up that we might receive His life and see the reality of judgment. Not to feel sorry for Jesus. Not to feel sorry for ourselves and our condition. But to look into Jesus and look through Jesus to what He is accomplishing, that He is bringing salvation through His death and His resurrection, that He is ultimately going to be raised back to life. His death is not permanent. His death is not an end, a cessation of being for Him, but is only momentary as He then is raised back to life on our behalf to accomplish salvation for us. As the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And Jesus was heard because of His reverence. Jesus was heard. And though He died, He was saved ultimately from death for He was raised back to life. It's a reminder that we don't always get our prayers answered the way that we are expecting them to be. Jesus knew that He had come to die and He knew in His prayers that the Father would hear Him. And that though He would die, He would be raised back to new life. Given a new kind of life in His physical body that He had taken on to Himself in the Incarnation that He carries with Him now for all of eternity as He sits upon the throne of the highest of heavens. True man and true God for us. And so we are called to walk alongside Him. And that where He is, there we will be also. But it means that we go down a path that we would not choose for ourselves. We go down a path that will mean suffering. That will mean death. That will mean turning away from everything that we care about in this world in order that we might know Jesus more deeply, in order that we would know His new life, in order that we would then go out and be His people on mission and salvation, making Him known in everything that we do. Yes, we die, but we will come to life again. Death and life come together, for though we die, we yet live And that is God's plan for us. Though we die, both spiritually and physically in this world, we receive new life spiritually in this world and physically in the world to come. We are called by Jesus to endure, to experience that, so that we can be more and more purified as His life is poured into us, as His redemption and His salvation comes to us. And through that, He orders our unruly wills He orders our affections. He shapes and molds us that we would know Him more deeply and that we would follow Him and serve Him and be where He is. For where Jesus is, there will we be also as we trust and follow Him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.